Hello and welcome to the Spooky Shelf Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Ducaro. In this podcast, we explore the horror movies which make up my guest's perfect DVD shelf. With all the streaming services available to us, I wanted to give my guests the opportunity to curate their ultimate horror DVD shelf with 13 titles which stand out to them as the best the genre has to offer. And today, we're putting up the spooky shelf of Brad Hansen. I first became aware of Brad through his appearances on Evolution of Horror, and you'll also know him for his puns on Letterboxd. Brad was a smashing guest, and he gave some absolutely beautiful answers for some of his picks. Uh, I was listening back to this while editing it, and genuinely, the parts of it I found quite moving. Not the rat pit or the frostbite scene, mind. Um, you'll understand what that is uh, once you've listened. <laughs> Remember to subscribe to the Spooky Shelf podcast so you can keep up to date with more guests from the online horror community. I've got some incredible guests coming up, so you really want to keep listening. I'm recording one tonight and I genuinely cannot believe that the guest says yes because they were in one of my favourite horror films from last year. So just as a little a little secret between us, just you know, keep that under your hat. So without further ado then, let's go and put up a spooky shelf with Brad Hansen. So Brad, uh, let's begin building your spooky shelf. Um, the first DVD that we're going to put on your shelf, Brad, I would like to know, what was the very first horror film you ever saw? Now, in my fading years, I am torn between which one of these is actually true. But I'm deciding to, the because this is my shelf and I can do what I want, I'm going to go with the one that I'm not entirely sure was the first, but I think it, it's there or thereabouts. And the answer to your question is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Fantastic. What a first disc. That's brilliant. I'm just making a quick note of this here to refer to later. Killer comes from outer space. Okay, so in what situation, what circumstances did you find yourself that that's the first horror film you saw? Where were you? It was my 12th birthday. My mother allowed me to rent two 15-rated horror films. Uh, not 18, so that wasn't allowed, but 15. And I, I double-billed them with Killer Clowns from Outer Space and Kenneth Branagh's overwrought Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So we really went the gamut of horror offerings. <laughs> well, from... I'm going to say, so you, you watched them immediately one after the other. It's just you can't remember in which order you watched those. Well, I also think I may have seen Nightmare on Elm Street, but I'm not like, I'm, I don't think I saw it from start to finish. I saw parts of it, so I'm not counting it okay, as something not... I saw prior. It's not an official entry on your yeah, shelf. Well, I mean, okay. I don't. Nothing goes on the letterbox unless it gets watched from start to finish. I don't do any of this half measure shit. I won't have it. You and I are going to have to have a very quick discussion about letterbox because, and I, Brad, I come to you with great humility um, because you recently, on an episode of Fresh Blood um, on the evolution <laughs> of horror, said, "Please bear with me on this. Anyone who puts cabinet of curiosities on the letterbox is a cunt." Okay. Hear me out. I 100% agree with you. But if you were to go to my letterbox profile right now, in the very first spot, you would find not Cabinet of Curiosities. You would find Midnight Mass. And I, it's, I'm it's 100% with you. Normally, TV shows have no place on letterbox for me. But hear me out. Mm-hmm. In my nearly 30 years of existence, it's taken me about four or five run-throughs of Midnight Mass to decide that it is my favourite story ever told. And I will Mm -hmm. get Mike Flanagan on this podcast at some point. Mm -hmm. Can I have a judgment call on that, please? Yeah. um, You're a cunt. Yeah. Um, But but I I respect your candour. I respect your honesty. 
Um, and yes, I, I agree that you can look at, a, you know, it is with those sort of limited series, much kind of like Salem's Lot and It have kind of transformed into films, even though that they were TV specials. You could argue that this is a 10 hour film. There's there is an argument there that Midnight Mass is a 10 hour film, but specifically Cabinet of Curiosities is not no. a 10 hour film. I, I can I get your argument with Midnight Mass because it is a, the same with Hill House and all that sort of shit. Yeah, I get it. It's like a contained story, but these Cabinet of Curiosity things, no, you're you're a cheater. You're, <laughs> you're a cheater if you put those on. Fantastic. Well, yeah, no, I I appreciate the uh, <laughs> the judgment call. Enterta- yeah, and entertaining <laughs> that that idea. So, sure. um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Are you a gamer at all, Brad? Because there is a game coming out. Oh, there is killer clowns from outer space. You looking forward to that? Of course, yeah. Louise Blaine was first to bring that to my attention in the Fresh Blood group chat. Of course, um, <laughs> and uh, it's not for once an asymmetric shooter, which is good because they seem to be like Evil Dead was one, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is going to be one. Um, what was the other one we played recently? Oh fucking, I don't so many of them. But yeah, I'll definitely be playing. Well, no, what I'll be doing is. Um, Begging Louise to get me a free copy is what I'll be doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I do struggle with those, you know, the sort of the Dead by Daylight clones, the asymmetric multiplayer things, as you say. I don't have that many friends and it's not that fun on your own. So I don't I don't have the legs for it. Like, really, I'd rather just pop a bit of Warzone on. At least that way I've, I've got 119 enemies to deal with. <laughs> I work better when my back's against the wall. <laughs> it just sounds like I feel like that should be your every day. I feel like that's how Brad Hansen approaches every single day. You wake up and uh, 8.1 billion enemies. <laughs> enemies. Not one of you is going to come out to bat for me. <laughs> okay. Your first disc then, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yes. Fantastic choice. Thank you. The second Blu-ray that's going up on your shelf then, Brad. Which film has scared you the most? I've chosen to interpret it as what was the first film to truly scare me. So I thought back, at, at, you know, because the, the obvious answer for me would be Jaws because I'm still cripplingly afraid of sharks. I'm terrified of them. However, if we're talking about a film that at the time I remember very vividly watching when I was about 13 with my friend and we had to turn it off because we were like, like this, it was too much. Like it was too frenetic. And this is going to surprise you when I tell you what it is because it's Evil Dead 2. You're joking. Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2. When I was was about 13, like, because that film is almost unrelenting with, I know some of it's funny and slapstick and all that sort of stuff, but little 13-year-old brain Brad couldn't handle the kind of, like, oral and sensory assault because it just seemed to be one thing after another. And we were like, I was just, I remember very vividly us being like, I don't want to finish this. Mm. Um, And if you ask, is Evil Dead on the Evil Dead series something that's, formed my horror fanaticism the answer is categorically yes 100%. i love those films but that was that's a, a, a memory you made me go back you made me go back there <laughs> and uh i remembered very distinctly and it was definitely evil dead 2 specifically and us being like no 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 no, no, no. can, can you remember break. i mean it it does like you say it's relentless it does kind of escalate and escalate and escalate but do you remember the a specific moment where you decided do you know what? That's too much. Was it the the hand slicing off? Was it Henrietta? I, th- I think 
it was you know like the it was everything was laughing and uh, from memory uh, you know the bit where everyone's laugh they're all laughing and yeah. you know the the stags kind of flopping around and it's all just very chaotic i think our little brains were just like no 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 that's too many thing and then mm. obviously you've come back and be like this is all just silly bollocks but <laughs> 13 year old me thought it was very scary so yeah i think that's my answer when you're younger though you don't necessarily see the context of comedy like i i really to take it away from horror completely i really vividly remember worrying about the ducks that adam west was gonna throw a bomb at in batman because i don't think you just don't pick up on those cues you haven't experienced enough to realize oh they're taking the piss at this point yeah it's the same with when they have like adult uh, jokes in kids films yeah and you watch like a, a pixar or a disney film from when you were younger and you're like, how did, how did I not pick up that he's basically saying he's going to come in a like, or something, <laughs> something like that? But little, like, naive you are just like, oh. do you Do you go back to, you must go back to Evil Dead 2 quite a lot then? Like a comfort yeah. watch for you, is it? Or Yeah, massively so. I mean, it's certainly one of my favourite franchises. Like, I would say probably second favourite to Friday the 13th. What do you think of um, the upcoming Evil Dead Rise? Are you looking forward to that? Are you sceptical? Are you a bit apprehensive? What's the... Um, I, the guy who made it's done some good stuff before. I, I worry, and you know, and the, the Evil Dead remake in 2013 wasn't particularly fun. It was mm. fucking. It was fun in a different way, in like a fucking oh, this is fucked up. Like it's raining blood. It's metal as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I worry sometimes that a lot, a lot of contemporary horror takes itself so seriously, and I worry that this will be another example of that, because I think you can't really do an Evil Dead film without some comedy and without some kind of silliness. Yeah. And I don't think that necessarily undercuts a serious tone, you know, the tone of the, whatever you're trying to do within the film, but we'll see. I'm, I'm always, I'm always going to watch an Evil Dead film if it comes out. For your third, perhaps we've alluded to this episode slightly. What's your favorite slasher movie? My favorite slasher is specifically Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Correct. Lives. That is the correct answer. There is, it's just, it's absolutely the best Friday the 13th movie. And I think it does have, you know, in the, in the way that the Evil Dead remake didn't I think it is fun. I don't, it doesn't take itself seriously. It's like, you know, it starts with a lightning flash and he comes out. It's brilliant. I really, really, it's my favorite as well. It's the perfect mix of like, Jason is like a, a legitimate threat. He's not a, he's not like a, he's not played for laughs. But at the same time, there's a lot of camp comedy in it. You know, the smashing of uh, one of the guys' face into that tree and it leaves a bloody smiley face <laughs> and all that sort of thing. It's just the perfect maelstrom, you know, because the, se- the obviously the second answer, if I, if I could pick two, would be Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors. That's like, those two are like the holy slashers um, and probably Intruder 3rd, um, which I was, I'm a big fan of. Um, but Part 6 is just... It's everything that you could want from a Jason Voorhees film and mm. from a Friday the 13th film. It's a shame that it got cut down a bit. You know, there were more violent deaths, but they were, you know, they started falling foul of the censors after part five. And, you know, all of a sudden the deaths are not as grandiose as they were earlier on. But I, I just love it. I think it's the perfect, like, slasher movie. If you're looking at a slasher, that's the perfect version of what yeah, one is. It- it's it just it distills all the best things about that franchise into one movie and like mm-hmm. if, if you wanted if someone asked you like oh so what what is the friday the 13th franchise you watch this that's the best it has to offer it's it's perfect it's really I'm, good fun 
He's an undead killing machine who can kill people in fun ways. Done. <laughs> Easy. Brilliant. Friday the 13th, part six. It's on the yeah. shelf, Brad. Um, Thank you. Number four, then. Um, your favourite ghost or haunting horror movie? The answer is The Innocence. Oh, the original, of course. Yeah, fantastic. I adore that movie. Um, from the first time I watched it, I think it's just like the perfect blend of of like gothic horror. Um, I think Deborah Kerr is like fucking amazing in that film. There's obviously that amazing haunting visual of the lady in the lake kind of standing amongst the reeds. And I just think it's like such a great look at kind of trauma and, and sort of suffrage, but within this kind of like classic ghost. Like it's, it feels very... It's obviously a, another remake of Turn of the Screw, which has been remade more times than I care for it to have been, but it has. Um, but I think it's just a, a, a pure ghost film. The second answer would be obviously 13 Ghosts, that the uh, remake of Matthew Lillard. That would obviously be the second choice. Can I uh, disappoint you greatly here and say I've not seen 13 Ghosts? How have you not seen 13 Ghosts? I just we all have these gaps, don't we? In our, we do. In our I don't, but other no, people well. do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another one of your eight point one billion enemies. They have the gaps, Brad. Not yeah, you. Not um, me. I got to ask you. So, uh, did you watch um, Bly Manor? Then, what did you think of Bly Manor? I didn't watch it. Mm. It's... I didn't watch it. I like none of the. I haven't watched Midnight Mass. Oh right, I'm just going to make a note. Brad Hansen, enemy. Enemy put me on the eight point billion. Uh, I don't really do TV. I don't. I mean, I've, I've been very vocal about this in, on, <laughs> in the pre- last ten minutes. <laughs> well, in the in my podcasting career, it's been since day one. I've said I don't watch TV. Okay, well, this this is going to make uh, your your fifth disc is going to be quite a tricky one then because and it links in quite nicely to what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask for your favourite horror TV show, and now I'm not sure what we do here, Brad. Well, I've actually I've actually got three answers for you here. One based on whether you will accept the first one I'm going to tell you. Okay. The first Re- one I'm going to tell you is... Reminding Ghost. you that you, you called me a cunt for putting TV on my letterbox. Yeah. Your turn. Come on, come to me. Let me judge. Uh, so <laughs> m- my actual choice would be Ghost Watch. Ghost Watch. Okie dokie. Does that count? It's It was broadcast on TV. There's technically I- a... Sort yeah. of a film as well. I, I'm, yeah, I, I will allow it, uh, but I am interested in hearing what your other two are. Okay, the other two would have been Inside Number Nine. Excellent choice. Um, I've only been doing that this year. I've done the first five seasons, six seasons. Um, and the other option would have been Dead Set. That's an incredible selection of shows, actually. I mean, again, talk about the things that we've not seen. I've I haven't seen Ghost Watch. I know there's a big revival of it going on at the minute, so I, it's definitely on my list to watch. Mm-hmm. But I've heard so much about it, and actually feeds in brilliantly into Inside Number Nine. Because have you come to the um, Halloween special? Yeah. You have watched it, okay? I didn't want to sort of give anything away there, but yeah, if no, you, I've seen it. If you've not seen it, you've absolutely must. It, it's a fantastic piece of tape. I actually watched it go out on the night. Ah, see, I didn't because I don't pay for a TV license. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was amazing to be able to just sit there and just have this thing happen in front of you. As soon as it went down, my wife was like, oh, I can't believe that's happened to them on the night they're doing live one. And I looked at her straight and was like, 
absolutely not. This is they know what they're doing. They're they know doing this. Yeah. When they start showing like episode one again or a quiet night in or whatever, yeah. and then it has the little weird turn with the creepy ghost thing. I was like, I mean, obviously I'm watching it like four years removed, but I was like, I like that. <laughs> I like the cut of like it. All right, no way you're playing with things. Oh, God. Are you munching down popcorn as we were recording? <laughs> nah, uh, smoking, chewing gum. Oh. <laughs> I quit smoking. and uh, Oh, well done. Congratulations. Well, clearly not going that well, because I'm sure popping chewing gum, but whatever. We it's, still, it's better than having a smoke, though, isn't it? It's so. is better than having a smoke. Well, small victories. Yeah, we'll applaud you for doing that one. Thank you. Uh, Dead Set was also fantastic. I remember watching that as it went out. And just the idea that the only safe place in the world. It's it's a um Channel Four. Charlie is it Brooker? Charlie Brooker. Yeah, it's Brooker, thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. That, McCall. that was great. That's fantastic what it is. Seeing her taking a chunk out of someone. That was brilliant. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna allow you a sort of a triple box set deal there. You can have Ghost Watch and Inside Number Nine and Dead Set, but Thank you. If but you, the if answer I, is Ghost Watch. The answer is Ghost Watch. Okie dokie. This is a sort of a, a gap in the format of this show, is obviously I know there's gonna be bits that I've not seen before. <laughs> Um, that's then our, our it's yeah my your guests you know opportunity obligation to inspire you to watch them and I would, highly recommend that you watch Ghost Watch. It's one of the most ingenious pieces of TV that I think I've ever seen. And if you love the Inside Number Nine episode, you will adore this. Mm. Like it's a not a verbatim copy, but it's heavily inspired. Yeah, and it's also genuinely fucking like quite scary. <laughs> Well, that was going to be my next question is like, did it actually scare you then? So, yeah, I, I so EOH actually did like a, a live screening of it with Leslie Manning in appearance, which I was fortunate enough to go to. And that was wonderful. But it was like it, that was the second time I'd seen it this year. Um, it's something that I do like to revisit on quite, you know, because I just think it's if someone hasn't seen it, I almost feel like it's a moral obligation for me to show it to them. You know, like so the reason I'd watch it beforehand was obviously my girlfriend, Lily. Hadn't seen it, so I had to ruin her life back in February, <laughs> and then I had to watch it again in May. But I was like, I'm fine watching it again. I love it. Like I'd watch it every day. Well, I wouldn't watch it every day. <laughs> I wouldn't watch anything any every day. Not except even the Wicker Man. No, I never would watch Wicker Man. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually toyed with the idea of doing that as a podcast, watching the Wicker Man 2006 every day and trying to like find new ways to talk about it on like a daily basis. Oh my I thought no one, no one wants to listen to that. I, but the thing is, is after I, I after like fifty goes it, I bet there probably is something where you start going. Hang on a minute, there's this loop and this loop and yeah, mm, guaranteed, <laughs> guaranteed, fantastic. Ghost watch with a little sort of Carrier. extra disc yeah. of Inside Number Nine Dead Set going on the shelf. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Uh, your sixth disc, which horror film has your favourite jump scare? The Exorcist Three. I think it is. I think it's the best. (laughs) It's so well set up. The fact that you've got the long corridor and you think it's setting it up for one. And then that one doesn't happen. And then Mm -hmm. it sets up for another again, doesn't happen. And then then... then you see her lock the door, walk away, and then the door flings open and it comes. It's like perfect. But also, and then just the, the, the cut away to the... The headless statue. It's such an amazing graphic match. You're just so clearly like, right, well, you we know what happened there. Yeah, yeah. because the thing is, if if they'd then gone to the kill and you'd seen the kill, you'd still be reeling from the jump scare and not paying attention to the kill. So to have to allow the audience to have that space, but also to be like, well, that's what happened. Mm. 
in such a still moment of this kind of headless statue where you're just like, ah, oh. but at the same time, you're still reeling from that. Perfect. Yeah. Just allowing you a, a second of respite, but then just to let it sit with you. Absolutely mm-hmm. masterful. Yeah. yeah I, I do wonder how many times Exorcist 3 is going to come up when I, while I'm doing these podcasts. I imagine it's going to be a fair few. The only other one that would contend with it in terms of how much it actually made me jump, and you're going to hate me for this, Brad. It Insidious. comes from... No, but that is also excellent. And that would probably come up quite a few times. But there's one in The Haunting of Hill House. The bent is... neck lady? Yeah, during a car ride. It's a really well done one in there as well. But uh, mm. there's some good ones in Host as well. You know, there, there are, there's some good examples of stuff, but nothing beats Exorcist 3, baby. No, no, it's, it's incredibly done. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, Exorcist 3. Another Chris Blu ray of Exorcist 3. The Arrow version? Well, probably, yeah. Fantastic. Although they'll probably have to recall it because they keep having to do that. I have seen that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should call it control, boys. <laughs> anyway, I digress. <laughs> Your seventh disc, Brad, then. Yes. I'm, I'm intrigued for this one. So um, this might be my favourite question on, on my my whole list. Which horror movies had the most emotional effect on you? I think it's a very good question. It's one I sat with and pondered. I actually have, once again, obviously created two answers for this because I'm very greedy. Excellent. But I'm going to stick with my original one and then I'll just tell you what the other one is because the other one is more obvious, whereas this one I think you maybe won't assume what i was going to say go for it um the one that's had the most emotional effect on me is possession is it was Why? it over what an overall just sort of overwhelm is it the the subway scene what what is it about possession that got you so i, I i've i've said this before on my letterbox um not that i expect everyone to check out everything i've ever written about every film but i i see possession as my ultimate breakup film and what i mean by that is you look back at your relationships. So, you know, did I catch you? You're married now. Yes. Congratulations. Thanks very but much. Bef- but before that, you've obviously been in other relationships. And in those relationships, you've watched people twist and consort themselves into a different person than you imagined them to be. And I think possession is a perfect example of watching someone that you love can taught themselves into something ungodly. And what do you do when love dies? And like it captures the kind of mania of of heartbreak when, you know, you've got the subway scene and you've got these scenes of incredible sort of visceral responses. But you've also got that kind of lucidity. There's so much catatonic nature. You know, those moments when you're sitting alone after a breakup and you're just like, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, and I think the film just speaks in such a, like a, certainly to me, I've been, I've been in some, monstrous relationships as you can imagine so maybe it speaks to me more than than most but that film um i think it is the perfect embodiment of when a relationship goes sour and kind of yeah that's why i like it that's that's like one of my top four films of all time love that film i think i think you've done nothing but cement my belief that this is my favorite question to ask because that is such a thoughtful and eloquent response brad that's I really, really appreciate that answer. It's thanks, mate. As for that, no, no problem at all. I might go and watch Possession now because I ain't seen it. It's worth a watch. <laughs> it's gonna fuck you up. Um, my my basic bitch boring answer would have been the orphanage. Okay, for very, very obvious, obvious reasons. Reason. For like this is oh, this is sad. This is a sad film. Uh, this is. is a sad horror film. Um, Equally, but... a good jump scare that with the ambulance, the sort of the double jump yeah, of the, the... the double fake out. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, 
possession. Watch what's, it. Really, what's really lovely is also, you know, at, at the point of recording, I haven't recorded many of these, but um, that question has been interpreted probably the most sort of in widely different parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that going forward, that's going to be a real interesting one for. Um, for it's a good one to have at yeah. the halfway point as well. You're sort of at the halfway point. It's a good, a good sort of place to sort of switch gears a little bit. Oh, thank you very much for uh, yeah the, the compliment of the, the format. Yeah, okay, great. Possession then is going up on your shelf, Brad. What was your best experience with a horror film in the cinema? So I've, I've there's been many. I've had many a fun time with a film in the cinema. Um, but I'm going to say uh, it was the London Film Festival screening in 2018 of Lords of Chaos. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Do you know, I, I'm really looking forward to hearing your reason for saying this, but my experience with Lords of Chaos is that it's one of a very rare instances where I had to turn a film off. Couldn't Because it. I don't really understand why it affected me so much but there is a scene where a character takes a knife to his arm and you fully see mm-hmm. the blade slicing and it just really made me feel sick gave so me the ick it really did but normally like that sort of stuff doesn't bother me so okay so what what happens at the the london film festival screen your lords of chaos um six people fainted and had to be carried out of the cinema you can't um, ask for much more than that, can you? I'm talking like this whole cinema was like pandemonium. You could hear people being like, Dave, Dave, Dave. <laughs> and you turn around and just see someone like fucking rolling. And you, you'll you be no surprise that it's during this scene that you've just described that this was all kicking off. Because it's so visceral. The, the effects were actually done by Dan Martin of Arrow ah. Podcast and all that sort of stuff. He did the effects. And it's he's a cunt because they're fucking horrible. Um. But yeah, there were people getting like carted out, and I you used to hear those horror stories in the seventies of you know the Omen and the Exorcist, where they had nurses and ambulances in the in the foyer, and people were getting carried out on stretchers. And I so wish that I could have gone back in time to experience that because I just think that would be such a fucking like amazingly like almost immersive experience in a theater to have people literally being like having the fear of God put into them with this, these terrifying scenes. And Lords of Chaos is the closest I've ever come to experiencing such a mania, such a such chaos, shall we say, (laughs) uh, that people were literally being like carted out of this screening because they because of how rough it was i mean if nothing else dan dan's got a fantastic testimony there hasn't he because it's it, it was also dan he also did the um i oh, was the, the recent ben wheatley film um, um in the earth in the earth that was him as well wasn't it yeah right um, dan, dan's been prolifically making disgusting things he did possessor I did some stuff on Color Out of Space. He's done. He's been. He's been fucking people up for years, years and years and years. I think he was on even did Kill List like years and years ago. Oh, okay, yeah. Kill he's always been working a, with Ben. Kill List is a is a favorite of mine as well. That's yeah, that's fantastic. No, but yeah, I don't. I don't know what it was. It's also that scene. Also, I, I feel well. Actually, the, the the film in general, there's a real oppressive atmosphere throughout the whole of that and i think the color palette really helps it's all very sort of washed out like like blues and coldness and i think that's why it just disturbed me that much because in theory you know 
a film about a metal band, like a there's a black metal band, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's the sort of imagery they're going for. That should be right up my street. I'm well into all that stuff. But as he was slicing his arm, I was just like, this is too much for me. I don't fully understand why, but I, it's a there's something there's something about that scene where he takes his own life that i think for some reason just um, like evocatively affects people mm. and i mean the film is it's interesting in, in the fact that you know he did do that in real life and they did take a picture of it and they did use it as the album cover to one of their records so there is an element of truth to what you're mm. seeing which i think is maybe why it gets so you know and the, the things that happen with the ending and the stabbing and everything that all happened so the fact that this did actually occur, I think, is something that maybe not, you know, it's not something you're you're thinking about, but subconsciously in your mind, you're like, shit, this did, this did happen. These things yeah. happened. So funny, though. That, that do- <laughs> I would have loved to have been in that screen just to watch that. But then perhaps I would have been Dave. Like, you know, you'd have been out, mate. You'd have been. <laughs> put your skateboard and wheeled you down the aisle. <laughs> perhaps that's it then, because, you know, quite happily watch people getting chopped up and all that sort of thing. If I watch a surgery scene, I'm like, nah, get it away from me. I'm, I'm yeah. the same with eye stuff. I don't like eye stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Okay. The the uh, London Film Festival screening, Lords of Chaos, that DVD. Uh, would you like me to include some footage of people fainting in the cinema? If possible. Well? If you've got the CCTV footage, oh. that would be handy. We got Yeah, we got all we the footage. We can get it. We, we can, can get it. We, we know the people. We have the technology. Yeah, we can rebuild him. <laughs> Um, your ninth disc. What is the most underrated horror film? Now, this is a fucking bitch of a question, and I'll tell you why. If you'd have asked me five years ago, I'd have said Lake Mungo, obviously. The problem is, since Mike and me did that fucking episode... <laughs> <laughs> it's your I fault. Want, I don't want to say that me and Mike are the reason why Lake Mungo is so popular, but I'm also not going to say it isn't. That podcast is certainly the reason that I went and found Lake Mungo, and... It's phenomenal. It is. It's one of my favorites for sure. It's just there's so much weird stuff. Like the the image that sticks in my mind most is when they have to drive back to their house, but the car gets stuck in reverse, so they have to reverse all the way out. I don't know why. It's just that image freaked me out. But yeah, okay. So we we can't have Lake Mungo because we cannot because it's no Lake longer. It's, it's now rated, unfortunately, <laughs> because it's now very of rated. Sure. Not, not because, not just me and Mike, but you know, I'd like to think we played some small part in it. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. That is a great shout. I watched it. I think it was uh, it was last year. I saw that. Did you go with it when at the end it does just turn into a more sort of traditional? slash thing it loses the documentary thing or i'm fine with how it goes like what i loved about it is obviously it was made back in 2006 and like kind of meta before meta was meta if Mm. if we're looking at how things are the kind of faux documentary element is like so funny and leslie is both so creepy and charming at the same time and the way that he talks about like other serial killers like like he's their mate he's like you know like what mike's doing and what you know freddie's doing you know i just i can't keep people those guys numbers you know and it's all like suddenly becomes like like the american psycho dick measuring scene where they're like (laughs) i can't you know like he he talks about them in such fond affection then they go and see the kind of like retired heavy hitter and he's like in an isolation chamber and 
there's just so many great moments that so like it's so abundantly clear that it is written by someone who has a deep affinity for the genre and it's i still believe that it is criminally underseen i think it's on shudder i think it's available there but i don't think enough eyes have gone on it mainly because i don't think it's inherently an out and out horror i would say it's more comedy than it is horror but i fucking adore it i love everything about it and i used to have the old like fucking anchor bay dvd when it first came out i got from mvc back in the day <laughs> Few deep cuts there yeah yeah um but i adore that movie i love it and i don't think enough people have seen it so if even if one person i mean you've already watched it which kind of upsets me but it's fine sorry uh, it's okay you've done you you're, I'm, i should be proud that you're doing your due diligence so <laughs> But if even one person listens to this podcast and checks out Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, I will be happy because I do believe that more people should see it because it's really fun. I think even in sort of, you know, the horror circles, the horror communities and things that, you know, I'm in, I'm sure, as you say, it's the same for you. It really isn't spoken about very much. Like, I only became aware of it. Just I saw just an offhand tweet once. Like, oh, by the way, check this out. It's like The Office meets... Halloween, Friday thirteenth, something like that. Like, oh, okay, give that a go. Yeah, no, I'm very happy to put that on your shelf, Brad. Absolutely no problem with that one whatsoever. My next question is: What's the last film which scared you? Now I have a bit of a problem here because oh, I don't inherently get very scared from by many films. There are very few films that have any kind of effects on me. I'm just so writing I, down here: Hard Bastard. Sorry, Hard carry Bastard. On. I, so I, I, I don't know how many people know this, but I was on a TV show. Uh, on BBC Three back in 2015 called The Fear. And it was a six-part episode, uh, six-part episodic uh, thing where there was a set of judges and I was one of the judges. And it's filmed like Gogglebox. The people that made it actually went on to go and do Gogglebox. And they filmed me and my friend with like set-up cameras within a cinema. And they filmed us showing us like 30 short horror films. We had to judge them all. The top three went on to get judged by Eduardo Sanchez from Blair Witch Project. And he picked the winner and they got like 10K to like make their next film and whatever. And the film that won was fucking shit. That, that's by the by. <laughs> but what, the problem was they showed me 30 films. And the thing they wanted from each of them was people to go, oh, mm. oh, oh. And they, I just sat there for 30 <laughs> films. <laughs> like ashen, like just like... And, and it was a running joke. They were like, can you be any more animated? And I'm like, I can't. Like, nothing, <laughs> like, nothing scares me. Director's so, running around. I think we have a genuine serial killer I on I think this show. guy doesn't seem asked about anything. It's very <laughs> weird. So what I've done instead is I the last film that r- really got an emotional reaction from me, uh, that I had to leave the room for a certain scene. I was like, oh, no, don't want to do this. Um, it's actually a very old film, but I've watched it like last year for the first time so i'm counting that as my answer and then okay. we can speak about this thing that you clearly want to speak about uh so my answer is men behind the sun men behind the sun i've never even heard of that i'm about to turn you on to something very deep very dark and very evil that's all i wanted from this chat brad go on what's men behind the sun so a little while back me Mike and Zobo did an extreme horror series. Now, we didn't actually cover this film in detail. We talked about the guinea pig films instead. But from a similar Asian perspective, there's a a film called Men Behind the Sun, which was um, Chinese produced. And it was made in 1989. And it was about this uh, squadron in uh, the Japanese army that would kidnap Chinese people. 
and they would perform all kinds of horrific experiments on them, testing the limits of a human body. Now, there's a there's a, a, a multitude of why this this film is fucked up. For example, there was no special effects industry in China in 1989, so all the cadavers, body parts, bits and pieces, they're real corpses. Um, so, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> there's there is a scene of a 13 year old boy being autopsied and it's it's real it's real oh no 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 going with what i was saying before about surgery scenes on real things i yeah you're not oh, gonna like this film that is vile there is a scene in which a woman is subjected to frostbite to just her arms they leave her arms out in the frostbite and they bring her in and they put her arms straight into boiling hot water. And she doesn't feel a thing because of the frostbite. And she pulls her arms out. And this surgery just, surgeon just goes and degloves her whole. And they used real corpse arms, obviously, to rip the flesh off the bone. I legit just shivered. That's disgusting. Ironically, <laughs> fine with all this. <laughs> but then, <laughs> this isn't the bit. This isn't the bit. <laughs> the bit that I didn't like was they had a pit of rats, a pit of real rats. Right. And they threw a cat in it. Oh, fuck off, Brad. That's fine. <laughs> that's not fine. Because then it's cats versus rats. Who wins? The rats win. And I didn't like it. I had to leave. What? Hang on. So it was, was it a live cat? Or was it, it was a dead cat? No, it was a live cat. And we watched it get slowly killed by the rats on camera. Oh, my Christ. <laughs> and I had to walk out. I was like, I'm not watching this. Oh, that's me. Yeah, actual animal cruelty. Just yeah, yeah. absolutely not. And well, the director came out and was like, "No, no, the, the cat's fine. It was just playing." No, here he is. And, and then they spoke. They spoke to some other people, and they were like, "He killed loads of cats. That wasn't the only cat. There's loads." <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's do, he does this every film. It wasn't even meant to be a cat in this film. There's he no, just brings right, cats. Just brings <laughs> cats. He's like, "Right, we'll do the cat scene." No, not. It's like I'm an auteur. People need to know it's my film with the you know cat torture. <laughs> Um, so if you want, so it's not really a true answer because it didn't scare me, but it fucked me up. Yeah, and I think okay. that's the closest I can give you to being scared because nothing scares me because I'm fucking hard. Men um, behind the sun, brand behind the sun, cat thrown into rats, cat thrown into rats. Okay. Disgusting. Didn't like it. No, that's that is utterly minging. Yeah. Um, could have been the answer for the next question. What's the best death or kill you've ever seen in a horror movie? Now, this is another one where I racked my brains because there have been some absolutely killer kills. You know, I'm talking the sheet glass decapitation from the omen. That's a banger. That's not my answer, though. I've gone for the eyeball piercing scene in Zombie Flesh Eaters because <laughs> it's fucking amazing. And I told you earlier, I don't like eye trauma. But it's your favourite. I think it's a, a beautifully constructed scene that makes you your skin crawl and it's like it's to the point where when you watch that scene you're like screaming fucking get on with it like <laughs> do it <laughs> like, just get, get on with it, it lucio get over it i can't take it anymore uh which is why i think it's the best kill because it literally winds you up and it's also gross as fuck and i love it uh, well that was going to be a follow-up question then to ask you a very personal question then brad is it a satisfying spurt for you? I mean, she spurts. She squirts. <laughs> Put down the towel. She's squirting, baby. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, I love... Uh, Fulci's been the king of killing people for quite a while. He's so good at doing horrible stuff. I was sitting with Lily, racking my brains, and she's chipping in like, what about this from Final Destiny? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I don't That's care so that mu- a big pane of glass comes and squashes that guy. I mean, that one is funny, and the <laughs> gymnast one is very fun. The gymnast one is really funny. That The gymnast one, actually, when it happened, that was a proper, another moment. I was like, oh, I don't know how to react to this. It really got me, that one. Just the way it's she a good lands one. And... Oh, yeah, it's gross. Uh, I mean, there's so many great kills, but... The one when I, the one I when I thought about it, I was like, it's, it's it's that one. That's the one I always think about. So that's my answer. Fantastic, zombie flesh is it's it's on the shelf. Thank you. Here we go. This would be a good one. You, you should know this. If you listen to me, you should know this. One film from your favorite horror director. Who's my favorite horror director? Would that be somebody from the region of Italy, perchance? It, it would, yes. The answer is Suspiria from 1977. I mean, what can you say, man? Just... Banger. Should we move on? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Nothing. I've, I've said everything I need to say about that film. <laughs> and if at this point you've got this far and you've not seen Suspiria, I, I, I do feel a bit cheeky saying that, having not seen, you know, Possession or Ghostwatch. But yeah, so what did you think of the um, the remake then? So Mike was very kind. He was like, I've got a plus one uh, oh. to an early screening of Suspiria 19, uh, 2018. And I was like, I, I think I'd even gone on record before that I saw it saying, I think we were doing a London Film Festival preview. And I was like, listen, like, I love Luca Guadagnino. I think he'll be so good at making it so emotionally more adept. Because, the yeah, let's be honest, the 1977 one, the plot is, like, written on the back of a bar mat. Like, there's not much, not really much cooking. But um, I went to a screening, and there was four of us in the cinema. It was me, Mike, Kim Newman, and Alan Jones. Mate, (laughs) come on. That's a four-round attack. Just the four of us, just the four of us sitting in a private screening room at Soho House. And we sat there and we watched the film. And I and obviously Alan Jones is like the Argento guy, the Suspiria guy. And I was like, I, and obviously Kim Newman's a fucking legend. So like, I'm like, we're like trying to stick around because they don't talk to us. <laughs> like, especially, <laughs> especially like not, it's changed now. Like Mike gets invited to Kim Newman's party um, that he has every year. I don't get invited. Um, but like it's so now that we could speak to them about it and it would be great. But at the time it was like 2018, we were like, Ooh, and we did, we wanted to speak to them about it so badly. Um, but I, to, to that's a really large circle way of coming around to say that I fucking hate it. <laughs> I really I, don't I, like it. I did feel we were going that way. That's where we that were going. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, yeah, I've watched it twice. So I saw it at that screening and I thought, okay, well maybe like, I wasn't really expecting it. I didn't know what he was going to do and i think what he did kind of surprised me and i wasn't ready for it now i'm going to watch it again and i know all the twists and all the turns and all the things he's done and that extra hour of bullshit he's added to the (laughs) story i know it all maybe this time i can objectively look at it as what he's a trend and i still think it's fucking terrible Mm. i don't you've seen my letterbox reviews i don't write a lot like i'm not a very i'm not writer i don't write things i write my silly little jokes and then i fuck off (laughs) but with this i had to write i had to like get it out there i wrote like a chapter like a big fucking thing about because it was like i was like going through therapy writing it like trying to work it out like what the fuck has he done that um so yeah not a fan it's interesting you said you know the the extra bullshit out of a film which as you say 
very little it's bullshit. to start with. But <laughs> Suspiria I... itself is bullshit, but it ain't about... I, I, said, I, I showed it to Lily recently, and I was really nervous, and I put it off. We've been together like 18 months now. And I was too, I was really nervous to show it to her because I thought I'm going to fall out of love with her if she um, doesn't like this film. And she, fortunately, if there's one thing that Lily seems to like is Italian vibes. <laughs> she really likes the Gates of Hell trilogy. And she really likes the stuff Argento does. Fucking hates everything else I show her. But there's some kind of, I think because it's so comical or so fantastical and almost dreamlike in the way that it's executed i think it allows her enough space to not be affected by it whereas i show her hostile she's like oh don't like it but tarantulas eating people's faces yes that's fine (laughs) it don't don't make sense but fine maybe just it's the the fact that it comes from another country it's like oh well this is high culture then this this is worth worth it's arty it's arty, isn't it? <laughs> I tell you what, I, the thing that sticks in my head about Suspiria more, more so even than the color palette, which it's the best. The score is just Banger. phenomenal because it's it's terrifying on its own, and mm-hmm. then just put with those just the fact that she goes through an airport and gets into a taxi. I don't understand how they've made that scary, but it's just with that score. It's mm. phenomenal. It's yeah. amazing. Like the, the Goblin score is, I, I've been lucky enough to see Goblin live playing those stuff. And I've also watched them. I was lucky enough to go and see them live score it. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah. At, in like an old abandoned church. One night they did that. And then the next night they did the Argento cut of Dawn of the Dead. Um. Uh, yeah, that was a good. That was a good couple of days. <laughs> That's a good time for Brad Hansen there. I was. I was like, <laughs> okay, right now we're cooking. Um, but I can't. What's so odd is that I can't even tell you the first time I saw Suspiria, or like, I don't have any. Re- All I know is I saw it, and I was like, I adore this film. I mm. like don't. You know, like a lot of time you can place yourself and be like, well, I was here. I watched this, and this is how it was done. 100%. I feel like this film just kind of ethereally entered into my consciousness and has never left. So I, I, I can't even tell you the first place I saw it. I, it's been years. I was young. I was you know 18. It's probably around the Tartan Asia Extreme area where everyone was just doing mad foreign language films and I somehow stumbled upon it. And I just remember just think just thinking like and i've always said like you could pause that film at any moment and take a screenshot and put it on your wall and it's a painting it's a masterpiece it's done mm. um and it is one of those rare films and i think it's a, it speaks truthfully to like me as a person it's like i'm all about the style i'm not about the substance <laughs> but what style you know what style lavish gothic <laughs> haunting melancholic technicolor <laughs> love it was it mean nothing fuck all mate doesn't I mean, it's nothing do you know what a witch is <laughs> then that's what the film is <laughs> oh, fantastic okay yeah. Brad, we're coming to your final disc to round out your your spooky shelf mm-hmm. what's your favorite horror film from the last five years another very difficult question because there's been some top tier a grade bangers in the last five years but my answer in a weird twist of fate, I uh, I got the special edition of it through the post this morning. It's Mandy. How did I not guess? It's of Mandy. Course it, of course it's Mandy for you. 
course it's Mandy. Go on, tell me about Mandy. What do you love about Mandy? Um, it's one of those very, I mean, there are, there are, are certain films that I feel have been made for me in a, in a very egotistical way. I would say A Cabin in the Woods has been made for me. <laughs> Lords of Chaos has been made for me. And Mandy has been made for me. Um, I love Panos Cosmosos. I love the um, worlds that he builds. Um, and Mandy is just the perfect symbiosis of one, Nicolas Cage, big Nicolas Cage, at maybe his cagiest he's been for some time in this kind of like doom metal, fucking like black metal, apocalyptic f- sort of fake earth. Like the which makes you know the woods of Connecticut seem like this other planetary tr- terrain, and once again, it, it's a you know I, I do ha- have a resonation with films about losing love and love loss, and I think Mandy is 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 one of those films which is like the absence of loss of of love, the absence of love, and the kind of that you know losing love itself means losing everything and losing it all and that film is really like a down the rabbit hole descent into like loss and and heartbreak in the most sort of like vivid and lurid way to the point where i just no one could make that film but him and i think everyone in that film linus roach is perfectly cast i think andrew riseborough has that perfect ethereal kind of haunting nature to herself in her in her own sensory being and then to see her kind of through this lens of phantasmagorical kind of lunacy for want of a better word Hmm. it's just an amazing film like it's a marvel and i really wanted panos to do it like if i if i I know the guy that did it did it but if anyone's going to be able to do you know flying turtles in space panos would be able to make that credible it seems apparent, as you say. So your possibly your your two most thoughtful answers, or not thoughtful, but most eloquent um, answers you've given here, very much themed around, as you say, loss and love and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. To draw a parallel with Suspiria, and dare I say this to you, Brad? Perhaps you see something deeper in Mandy than I do, because I I kind of feel like Mandy is again. Vibes. style over substance it's a mood piece yeah completely and it's, it's batshit and it's brilliant but it is to my yeah through my eyes it's very much a style thing completely completely accurate to it to a degree I'd, I'd certainly you know you could look at it and just be like yeah it's just this isn't it it's just a weird like because narratively it's pretty threadbare right they live in the woods the the fucking cult leader sees her and's like i want to bear that she laughs at him he kills her he comes back for revenge kills everyone the end mm. it's fairly linear and straightforward but i don't know though i maybe i mean a lot of the time i feel like I, pra- I i i praise films and give them more meaning than they maybe deserve and then a lot of the times the films of like deep resonance that everyone's like oh, this is a masterpiece i'm like shit though isn't it <laughs> it's rubbish it's boring so it, that could just be me and the way that I read things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I loved it. It was just, I, I saw the film for the first, I've seen it three times in like four years. And every time I see it, I enjoy it more. And every time I see it, I, I think it's more of a masterpiece than it was the time I saw it beforehand. I just think it's, 
a marvel of, 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 of filmmaking that what I hate so much in filmmaking now is that everything is so spelled out for you to the point where you know they'll, they'll always cut to a flashback and you're like, well, I know he's got that because you showed it to me earlier. You don't have mm. to show me again that he's got that thing that's going to save the day. And what I love about Mandy is it's so like less savvy foe of plot. It's just like, well, just fucking get on board. Like just almost like an acid trip or, 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 or a drug trip of any kind. You just kind of got to go with the flow, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's like having a tidal wave wash over you. The stories that I find incredibly satisfying are stories which set up a mythology very, very quickly. So you know, you always feel like you've just been dropped into this world. Mm-hmm. But the characters are fairly archetypal. Yeah. But in a in such a brilliant way. It's rare, isn't it? But those occasions where you see something and you're like, it's like that artist, that creator, that filmmaker, whatever, has reached into my soul and into my head and pulled out what I wanted to see and just thrown it on a screen for me and said, hey, this one's for you. It's yeah. so rare, but it's the best feeling when that happens, isn't it? Yeah, like it, it's so much fun to experience something and 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 feel that like deeply personal collection. And obviously, you, you know, the filmmakers that made these films, Panos wasn't actually thinking of me. Jonas Ackerlund wasn't actually thinking of me. Joss Whedon was thinking about being a creep, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Um, you know, but they made these films and they spoke to me in a way where I, it does feel like it literally like took my cerebral cortex, just ripped it out and just put it on celluloid. And that's it doesn't happen that often. That's three instances I can think of off the top of my head in the last sort of decade shall we say Mm. but it doesn't happen that often you know i wouldn't say barbarian was made for me i wouldn't say smile was made for me i wouldn't say any of these new horror films are like deeply but there's there's a there's a personal connection with those films and obviously some of the stuff in the 80s and the 70s and going back as far as you can think of where you're just like that's exactly what i wanted it to be and i think that's a, a a really what's an example of one that you that i haven't mentioned that you would say is one that was pulled from your from your soul just to flip it round, i'll ask you a question thanks um no one's no one's I, asked you these answers have they not yet no maybe that's the the hundredth episode special was maybe yeah. i get asked well, you get scroobius pip to ask you <laughs> yeah there you go that's how i can pitch it to pip i said oh, you don't need to know much yeah, about it um so for me, I, I, I'm loath to disappoint you again, Brad, but Midnight Mass was one of those things for me where I, I felt like it was just a complete alignment of everything that I loved and everything that I've been intrigued by and just put into these seven perfect, not even, well, hour long, seven perfect episodes that from episode one there was there were two things that happened where i went because to to explain a little about midnight mass it doesn't show its hand until episode three or four and that's the point where you go oh it's a blah 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 story yeah i I know i know what story it is sure but i I just don't want to spoil it for anyone anyone else yeah yeah if if you can get the same experience i had of like it's like we were saying with um with Suspiria and Mandy, that's what it, it's. There was my life before Midnight Mass, and there's my life after Midnight Mass because I think about it every day. But there were two things in the first episode 
which just gave me a little hint as to where it was going. And I was like, there's no way this is what I think it is. And then it was that exact thing. And I think it has the best ending to a story that I've ever seen. And yeah, so I'm sorry that it's a TV show, but for me, Midnight Mass. It's fine because, you know, maybe I'll do you a solid and maybe I'll watch it. Maybe. I I probably won't. Okay, that's fine. I might. If you if do, I get, if I'm at a loose end, if I'm at a loose end. <laughs> if you do have a spare seven hours, um, and then want to come back on and discuss it, you are more than welcome. But as, a, as a, an aside, which is just called Midnight Masturbators, where you wax lyrical. Oh, about... It's right there. I've missed the trick, Brad. Why haven't I called right this there? <laughs> come again. <laughs> that's know. the Patreon special. That's the special <laughs> one. Yeah, Brad. That that completes your. Shelf. spooky your spooky shelf is complete i mm-hmm. would just read these back to you just in order so it starts killer clowns from outer space evil yes. dead 2 friday the 13th part 6 the innocence ghost watch brackets uh box set special with inside number nine and dead set exorcist 3 we've got possession then the london film festival print uh with bonus cctv disc uh of the screening of lords of chaos that you attended mm-hmm uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which we need to distribute to as many people as possible because it is yeah. fantastic. Uh, Men Behind the Sun, brackets, cat thrown into rat pile scene. Yeah. Um, zombie Flesh Eaters, which comes with a novelty big splinter. Mm-hmm. Um, Suspiria and followed by Mandy. Routing out. That is Brad Hansen, your spooky shelf. I'm pretty happy with it. I'm happy with uh It's a nice mix. It's got something for everyone in there. Exactly. It's for every sort of mood you're in, mm-hmm. you know, you're feeling a little bit miserable. You're feeling a little bit down. You know what you're going to pop on? Men Kill Behind the, the sun. sun. It would perk you straight up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at least I'm not that cat. <laughs> um, Brad Hansen, this has been a joy and a pleasure. Thank you so much for chancing your arm on a podcast that doesn't currently exist. Um and recording this episode with me. Where can everybody... I mean, I'm saying this. I'm ending this like Mike. But everybody... That is, that is literally how Mike ends his. But yes. Go ev- on, do it again. Do it again. Everybody... Okay. So uh, where can uh, everybody keep up to date with uh, all things Brad Hansen? Hi. And welcome to the... Uh, no, you, so you can uh, you can find me on all social media platforms. Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram. At Hadbranson. Amazing. Brad, thank you so much. Thanks, mate. Well, there you go that was brad hansen putting up his very own spooky shelf um the rats sound awful the frostbite bit sounds awful um i really hope brad enjoyed himself because i had a smashing time chatting to him and uh, yeah his answers for possession and for mandy were incredibly thoughtful and i really really appreciate that he you know put the effort in for the format of the show so thanks very much brad remember to subscribe to the spooky shelf wherever you get your podcasts you can find me at spooky shelf podcast on instagram or at joe DeCaro. but i understand that's a tricky spell because it's belgian next week i have another incredible guest coming along to put up their very own spooky shelf Thanks very much to Cosmic Itchin for creating the incredible photography and the artwork for the podcast. And once again, to Raul Coley and Mike Flanagan. One day, lads, you'll be coming on this show. I'm sure you will. I'll be back next week with another big old spooky shelf. Have a lovely week. See you next time. 
Laters.